and just presenting it like that to them makes them think, oh shit, yeah, I'd, I'd rather I'd rather be kind of like cool and fresh and new. So let's just start off by answering, what is a cutter guide? And so my background is actually in cutter guide creation, which sounds so sexy, I know it's like, <laughs> whoa, yeah. And welcome back to another juicy episode of Off Air. If you've been following me on social media, you will know that I've really been getting into packaging design recently. And one of the ways that I've been learning more about the process is with Laura Evans' brand and packaging design course, which I highly recommend. Laura is so knowledgeable in what she does and I'm so excited to have her as a guest on today's episode to talk all about the packaging process and how to create standout packaging that will have your clients and their audiences on the edge of their seats. So welcome, Laura. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, I'm pleased to be here. I'm super excited to talk all about packaging. Yes. Honestly, when I start talking about packaging, I cannot stop. So yeah, super, super excited to be here. Yeah, well, that's what we're all about. Chit-chatty, casual. So I'm really excited to have you today. For anybody that doesn't particularly know who you are, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, so I'm Laura. I'm the founder and CEO, creative director, wearer of many hats um, in my boutique <laughs> studio called Our Kind. So I'm actually a packaging designer first and foremost. So that's my background. That's kind of what I've studied. That's what I do. And that's where my agency experience is. Um, and I actually worked in agencies for a long time. Well, feels like a long time. So from 2012 to 2018, which is like six years, I was like, oh my God, where is that gone? Wow. <laughs> um, so I, I actually worked in packaging agencies specifically for that amount of time. Um, and then I was like, right, okay, I'm gonna kind of do it for myself now. So now that's what I do. Um, so Our Kind is really positioned as a brand and packaging first studio slash agency, depending on the kind of client that we're working with. Um, and yeah, we create brands from the ground up. So it's all about bringing product-based brands to life from the very, very beginning, all the way through from strategy, copy, messaging, all the way through to the actual kind of product itself. Um, yeah, our process really focuses on putting the product at the center. And as you mentioned, I have a course as well, which kind of teach, teaches other designers yeah. how to do all of this stuff too. So yeah, super cool. It is so in depth. Like I remember when I signed up for it and I was like, oh, it's just gonna, you know, take me through the process. And then I actually saw the outlines of the modules. I was like, wow, this is so like every single thing that you would possibly need to know about packaging is in this course. And I'll talk a little bit about it at the end and kind of how you can sign up to it and stuff. Um, Awesome. But yeah. yeah, I'm really excited to get into things. I was so excited to have you on the podcast because I just know how much like knowledge you have within this subject. Yeah, I think my brain might explode at some point because yeah. <laughs> there's just so much. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, when I was putting the course together, I was like, oh my God, how do, like, where is all of this? Where is this inside my brain? So it's actually quite a relief to get it out of my brain and kind of get it into yeah. like, a tangible form. But yeah, there is more like, I have so many ideas of things to actually add in as well. So yeah, um, there is, yeah, it's never ending. Um, the amount of stuff that we can <laughs> learn about it is like, for me, unreal. Um, but hopefully we'll yeah. give you a bit of a taster today as well. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I mean, the organization on your behalf to get all of that down onto like <laughs> paper must have taken forever. I mean, I know I'm experiencing it right now. So it's, it's a lot of work. So props to you for yeah. putting together such an amazing course. Thank you, thank you. It's my life's work. <laughs> Now, packaging is a very complex process, despite what you may think. And it's a lot more than just whacking a pretty design on a square artboard and calling it a day, which I'm sure is where a lot of us started. Um, but having said that, there are a ton of resources out there, including your course, Laura, that helps designers like myself to learn more about what it takes to create amazing packaging. So do you have any top tips for any designer that wants to get started in packaging design? Yeah, I have lots of tips, as you can imagine. So my <laughs> first would be to become really aware with the space in which packaging occupies. So by that, I mean the shelf, the store, like the real life situation. So e-commerce is obviously like super popular right now. Everyone's on e-commerce, like buying products online, having them shipped, delivered, all of that stuff, great. But the roots of packaging comes, comes back to, or goes back to a store situation. So I would start by spending time in a store, looking at a shelf, studying the shelf. And I don't mean kind of like analytically, like getting your notebook out or anything like that, <laughs> but just be really aware of like what's going on in a shelf. So pick maybe a category, maybe it's coffee or like skincare or I don't jam, I don't know. And spend some time looking at the shelf, looking at how it works, looking at what brands are doing, how they stand out, how they don't stand out and just have an awareness of what's going on. Because those kinds of um, thoughts are really integral to the design process when you're working on packaging. So having that awareness kind of like will feed into that first sort of project that you do. And then you wanna kind of like pick things up as well. So like look at how they're made, look at what they feel like, 
feel the textures, feel the cardboard. How heavy is it? Is it light? Is it thick? Does it fold nicely? It's not so much our job to kind of think about that per se when we're designing. It's nice to be aware of it, but it's just so that we can like start to draw those comparisons or those kind of connections between why the brand has made that choice. Like, what does it mean for that brand? Like, if there's an emboss on there, why did it make sense for the brand? What's it What's it telling us about that brand and like how's it communicating? Um, feel yeah, feel the textures. Is there a deboss on there? Is there a spot UV gloss? Like, what's it saying? Um, and I think collecting nice things as well. So when you're walking around the shelf, like look at what stands out to you and think, why do I like that? Buy it and then keep it and then, you know, go back to it and mm-hmm. keep looking at it. Study the things. I literally have like a, a box in my spare bedroom full of like skincare packaging that I've just Absolutely. like bought myself and then <laughs> discarded the box. But it's so funny that you say that because I literally remember the other month I was walking around Tesco because I was designing um, a bottle for a gin company um, doing all the labels and things like that. And I was walking down kind of the alcohol aisle, picking up all the bottles, mm-hmm. taking pictures of them. And I literally had the security guard of Tesco's like following me around and watching me because he was like, what are you up to? Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, I'm, a, I'm just I'm just taking pictures for research. But it is such an amazing thing to be able to go into a shop and like physically look at packaging because it browsing on Pinterest is great. But like you can't see all of the ins and outs of the specific details. And even like when I was first um, looking into it, like the backs of the yes. packaging, like it's not something that you ever see online. And I was like, no. oh my God, how on earth do I design the back of like a yeah. gin label? So actually, you know, having an understanding of these things is a is a really important part of the process. Yeah, I was just going to say as well. So like um, collecting, like collecting is a massive part of it. So I remember in my first agency job, we'd all have these kind of like, like real life pin boards. We all had them near our desk and everybody would pin like references, design bits, like business cards are like nice things. And I had this like wall of packaging. And it just provides this like thinking point and this reference point that you can go back to and think, oh, like what what would that feel like? You can just go back and touch things. I like you mentioned the back of pack as well. Um, back of pack can sometimes feel a little bit like this like thing that we do at the end. And it is the, the thing that we do at the end, but there is an art to it in its, in its own right. And I think just having an awareness of how other people are handling the back of pack, like the ingredients and the barcodes. And sometimes there are really fun things we can do with the back as well. So not kind of like putting that to one side, but just, yeah, it's just as important to look at the front as it mm-hmm. is the back. And real brands in a real situation that are out there kind of can teach us so much more than a, a visual or a mock-up that we find on Pinterest or Instagram. So yeah, I think being aware with the the landscape that we're playing in is really important. And it's just nice to touch things. Like the best part about being a yeah. packaging designer <laughs> is that once it's printed, potentially it will go into one of these stores. Um, and that's such a, yeah, such a nice thing to see and have and hold. So I, yeah, I'm all about that. Yeah. That's always been a goal of mine to have like a physical product in a shop and be able to walk into like Tesco and be like, mm-hmm. mm, I designed that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, weirdly, I have that experience because the agencies I worked in, all of their stuff went into kind of Tesco and things like that. Not, it's not necessarily the same for me as a, an independent design studio at this time, because I guess the budgets are different. We're not kind of working with those sort of like huge clients that are, yeah. Um, yeah, in like global names like Cadbury and stuff like that. But um, yeah, it, it is nice when you see, especially if there's like even little bits like the photography, like, oh, I out directed that. That's now kind of like on the shelf next to a, um, a Kellogg's brand. Like um, I'm thinking of cereals, like I don't, didn't drop that in. Yeah, I, was thinking of a, <laughs> I was thinking of a cereal shoot that I did. And it's just nice. Yeah, even like all the little details to see that in real life. Um, it's just, I think what makes packaging special for me, yes. but that's because, you know, I love it. <laughs> it's my thing. And I had another point as well. So um for getting into it I think the portfolio is like what you need so you can't Mm -hmm. really get packaging clients if you haven't got the packaging work so clients are going to be looking at they're not really looking at the technical side of it when they approach you they're not so much looking at the back of pack they're looking at the concept and the idea the thing that's in the portfolio how the brand lives and how the brand breathes in that kind of visual aspect Mm so I'd say the first thing is making sure you've got a portfolio of work um make it look feel as real as possible Think about how, um, yeah, what it's saying to the world. Like, what is this brand really doing? How is it different? Is it solving a problem? Is it delivering a need? And we think because it's not a real brand, this portfolio sort of well, personal projects, um, self-directed projects need to have this kind of extra layer of meaning to just give them that extra realness and that extra grounding and something that's tangible. So you're creating a world for something that doesn't already exist. And basically that's what we're yes. doing for our clients time and time again. So we are creating worlds that don't already exist. And that's like a, it's a beautiful thing. So if you can really approach those kind of self-directed projects with that same lens, 
that will demonstrate to our potential client like, oh yeah, look, this is what they can do for me as well. So I think kind of, yeah, yeah. making sure you have the projects first and foremost um, will attract more of the like-minded client and that's what you want. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of passion projects and I've talked about this so much on the podcast. Um, I actually have a challenge called the Brand Bootcamp Challenge, which you can sign up to on my Instagram page and on my website. And there are a ton of packaging briefs included within those. So for example, one of them is like a dog treats brand and one of the parts of the brief is to create the packaging for the treats, obviously. (laughs) So if you are like struggling with coming up with all these fake briefs and that's a really great place to start. There are a ton and ton of resources out there. Other designers doing challenges as well, so definitely check those out. So one of the things that I struggled the most with was knowing how to approach a packaging project. You know, I knew kind of design-wise, I knew what I was kind of looking for, but you know, I used to see it as a deliverable that was part of a much bigger package. But actually packaging in your right should be something that's really considered right from the beginning, which is obviously so important. So would you be able to briefly walk us through your process? Yeah, you're right. So packaging is often seen as this thing that we do later. So we'll Mm -hmm. get the identity, get the strategy, get the bits and pieces, and then we'll I'm just going to say it, stick it, on, stick it on a box, right? And that is often kind of the way it seems to kind of like present itself from what I see. Um, for me, it's it's a little bit different. So for me, it is the kind of the center of the project. It is the the meat to the pie, if you will. It's really about working with the project at the, at the, in the beginning, from the very, very beginning of the project. Um, it's about putting the project at the center. So instead of doing the strategy, the identity, creating the logo, getting the colors, having that signed off, And then applying it to the packaging later, for me, it's more integral. So what we'll do basically is go straight into the packaging as an idea or as a concept at the top level. So we have the strategy, we have the, we know what the brand is saying to the world, we know what the brand is doing, we know the message, we know how it's differentiating in terms of its story, how how it's positioned against the market. We know all of that information, we have that factually kind of on paper. And then the first thing the client sees will be the front face of the packaging with the idea that communicates all of these things we've already understood. So they're not just seeing a logo, but they're seeing this bigger picture and they're then be able to connect this visual that they're looking at of the front face with the information that they've already learned about their brand in the, the pre-work, the strategy phase. So they see, yeah, they see the packaging first. The logo is on there, obviously, because that's kind of the work that we're doing, but they're seeing so much more than that. So we're really pitching the concept, um, so the front face pack concept as an idea. So it's an ideas approach rather than thinking about where's the logo going to go, where's the tagline going to go, where's this icon going to go. We're looking at the overall message, the overall thing that we are communicating to our customer who's going to be shopping for the product. Um, And yeah, we're looking at like how how they're going to read that product, how they're going to learn about the brand, what else are we kind of getting, you know, able to tell them from this kind of pack visual um so before they see yeah before they see that pack concept we'll do regular things like the strategic approach which will uh, sorry the strategic approach which will flex depending on the client depending on what they present with some might need might need deeper strategies some might be kind of like cool with what they have already so we'll kind of figure that one out first and then we'll go into what i call visual planning which as you know katie from doing the course is effectively a mood board but um, i have a different name for mm-hmm. it um, for me, it's just, I like to kind of like leverage and sort of elevate these kind of words that we often use in our process to kind of give them a little bit more meaning. So for me, visual planning just helps the client see this as not just a mood board, but as something that is really integral and really important to kind of direct the outcome of the project. So it just adds this extra kind of like strategic element to it. So yeah, we'll do the mood boarding slash visual planning. That's going to summarize the creative direction for the brand as a whole. So we don't do kind of like separate mood boards for packaging, separate mood boards for logo. It is like an overarching, all encompassing look and feel, creative direction for everything. Mm-hmm. Have them sign that off. And then yeah, we go straight into concentrating on what the, what this big idea is for the brand. Which is why as well, it's so important not to have 
like not putting direct logos on the mood board or direct pieces of packaging because it's an overall vibe and this is always some this is one of the main things I actually learned from the course at the very beginning that I was like that makes so much sense I think I even made an Instagram post about it because I was like this is so like revolutionary to me why didn't I think about this before but you know leaving out the finer details from yeah. the mood board is like so important yeah it allows a little bit of flexibility but also um I mean some people will say that like you need to have the logo locked in you need to have it kind of like signed off on the mood board um there's an element of kind of making sure the client understands enough about what what they're going to expect and what you're going to do so they have that awareness and kind of there's no surprises but at the same time we want to take a step back for me and think about this as a bigger idea and then you allow the packaging to bring that idea to life so it's less about these kind of little details because I think that's when it starts to become disparate and bitty you know like lots of little pieces together and instead we're kind of seeing this as an overall idea and how is the product going to sell the idea? The, the product is the thing that sells the brand. So we need to kind of like think ideas first. That's just how, yeah, that's how I've been taught, I guess. And that's how kind of the agencies that I worked in approached it. So clearly I've kind of just taken that with me into kind of my working world as well. And um, so that's, yeah, how I, how I do things now. And you might've heard me say this many, many times, but <laughs> packaging is a primary manifestation of a product-led brand. So for a product-led brand to exist in the world, it needs packaging almost, and it needs that to really sell and drive the sales. It is the machine that does the work. So without yes. that kind of thing going on around the edge, without that kind of outer, um, beautiful outer experience, the product the product can be really, really great, but we need the outer thing to kind of do the work for us. So the two yes. really go hand in hand. And I think it's really great to take this packaging first approach because um, I was, when I was working on this gin brand that I was talking about, um, we were doing the branding and the packaging separately because I hadn't, I was in the process of taking Laura's course at the time and I hadn't gotten to that section yet. Um, so I was, I did the branding, I did all of the logo and everything like that. We moved on to the packaging design and the client's feedback was that the logo didn't seem to work with the packaging that we were you know working on and that was the case it just seemed like there was a big disconnect between the actual branding and the packaging so had I have gone in with that concept first approach we wouldn't have had those issues so I do think it's something really important to consider because you know as a lot of branding designers are you know emerging into the packaging design space we need to consider you know it's not just an additional deliverable it is the whole brand it is the deliverable yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> the other thing as well, I was going to say that, um, yeah, you mentioned there is about like the two have to work in harmony. So if we mm -hmm. design from the begin be beginning of the process with what I call the canvas, so our packaging is the canvas, it's our, it's where we're going to do the art, it's where we're going to kind of make magic happen. So we have to kind of have that in mind. How, how can we create a logo if we don't know where it's going to go? How can we create communication points and tell a story if we don't have the idea of where it's going to go? So it's really important to have that context that canvas in place before we put pen to paper because it can make a massive difference to how you design um and it, yeah I think having that having that foundation in front of you first helps you make decisions that are fit for purpose rather than like as I mentioned before these disparate I'm waving my mm -hmm. arms around I know they can't see me but I'm waving my arms around with these dis <laughs> these disparate things um that kind of yeah all have to come together in the right place at the right time Now, obviously today we're talking about standout packaging. What do you think the difference is between a successful or effective piece of design is and something that perhaps doesn't quite hit the mark? So this is interesting because for me, it, de it depends sometimes on where the product is gonna be sold and who it's for. Mm -hmm. So I think successful packaging is really, some, really about kind of like thinking about who's gonna be buying it, what they're gonna be looking for and what's going to trigger their purchase what's going to be encouraging them to buy and we're really thinking of them we're thinking about the context so we're thinking about that person first if you're in a retail situation what we also need to do is make sure that it stands out on shelf really quickly really clearly communicates the product the flavor the scent the variant as we call it and all of the information that that particular customer in that particular context is going to be looking for at that time so it is dependent on who when why and making sure that if for example, you're shopping for a cereal, what information does that kind of customer really wanna read first? What are they looking for on the shelf? Like what's gonna make them think, I gotta pick that up? Um, so having an awareness of that, I think what is what makes for a really strong packaging where mm -hmm. we've actually considered how it's gonna be sold. 
like what's going to make people actually buy this thing because ultimately that's the goal of what we're doing we're not kind of making packaging i mean we are making it to look cute and pretty but we're also making it to um convert and sell for our clients and the big, the bigger results that they have the better results that we have and yeah and so the world goes on and and you know i mentioned this we've already mentioned this before but um packaging that or design that goes beyond a logo on a box so kind of like what we've already touched on but for me it's more immersive there's more interest um there's like an extra story that we can tell interesting and unique ways of applying logos and fonts and things like that so for me the logo is actually a very very small small part of the process strike me down oh no um yeah <laughs> logos are not the like they're important obviously for the, the life of the brand beyond the packaging but on the actual packaging itself not always and i say this lightly because it can depend um we actually have a, a brand projecting right now for a dairy-free nut milk and in this particular concept that we're moving ahead with the logo is actually the the idea. The whole idea and the whole kind of pack hinges on this beautiful, intricate logo. So we've done a lot of work on the logo to allow the whole pack and the whole brand to sing and hinge from this single idea. So in this instance, the logo is, is fine to kind of dominate the pack. That is the thing that we see first, but there's a reason for that. And there's kind of st strategy behind why that is. And the logo itself is doing a lot of the work and telling a lot of the story. So swings and roundabouts sometimes it is the logo sometimes it isn't but I think what you have to come back to is really thinking about what the story is having a really strong message and a really strong hook around the brand which then allows you to create the idea versus a layout and I think it's when we get into layout territory where it's like logo name of product a little bit of text something at the bottom kind of very templatey that's when things start to feel a little bit less exciting for me in terms mm -hmm. of design but when we kind of take that away and think more about that beginning, you know, that beginning idea, the beginning hook, um, as I call it, the kind of the key thing that's going to drive the whole brand forward. That's when it makes packaging more exciting. And it sounds really kind of elaborate to say out loud, but yeah, it's just kind of how we can do things that mm -hmm. maybe feel a little bit less like templated. That's nice. Yeah. It really comes down to context, doesn't it? The, the brand that you're designing for, the industry that they're in, the particular target audience, it all depends on those specific factors, which obviously is a big part of the strategy process. So it's no secret that I'm a brand strategist at heart and I love digging into that side of things. Laura, you touch a lot on strategy in regards to packaging, which is really when you you know get down to the nitty gritty, um, which can, as a designer, help us to produce packaging that is effective versus packaging that people just scan on a shelf. Um, so what is your number one theory, method, whatever you want to call it, that you do at the start of the process that really helps you to create designs that don't blend into the sea of same, which is a phrase that I learned from you that I literally use all the time with my clients. <laughs> oh, I love the sea of same. The sea of same is such a simple, simple, simple um, method or way of thinking tool. It's not even like, it's nothing revolutionary, I don't think, but it's really telling and really, um, yeah, it, it kind of lays it out on paper for the client and for yourself as a designer as well with regard to what's going on in the world and kind of like how we can pivot and how we can do things differently. So I have a bunch of tools um, that are all, they're all around kind of really helping the client understand why you've made certain decisions as a designer or helping the client get out of their comfort zone. And it really helps to tell the story and take them on that journey so that when they see the design, they're already ready, they're ready for it and there's no surprises and they're already sold on why you might be making certain decisions. So the first part of these, yeah, these tools kind of really help to kind of get them on that, get them on that line of thinking. Um, I think too often it's kind of a case of got brand strategy, we're going to design like this, do the mood board, design the packaging, here it is. And it might be that A, you've kind of followed what you think the client might want, which is cool. Um, sometimes in the right, in the right, you know, the right circumstance, right situation, or we've done what we think is right, and the two don't connect. So this really kind of helps to kind of put the, you know, get you on the same page, basically. Um, so yeah, the sea of same is what I use to gently nudge the client out of their comfort zone if I believe it's the right thing to do. So often clients, you'll find this. Often clients will come to the table with all of these ideas, and they'll say like, I've seen this brand and it's really cool, and I've seen this brand and it's really cool, and then you start to kind of like put them down and you think, well, they're all quite similar. Um, that's because the client has has this comfort zone, which I've mentioned in one of my previous webinars before. We all have a comfort zone, so that's understandable. But we're exposed to certain things time and time again. 
which means the more we're exposed to them, the more comfortable we, we become with it. And that becomes our norm. That becomes kind of like the paradigm with which we're working. And that's when clients start to say, I want something like that. I want to look like that because they think it's cool. They think it's like, that's what everyone else is doing. So why can't I do it? Then I think our job is to kind of listen to that and think, okay, is that going to make sense for our customer? If so, then yes, let's go along with the comfort zone. Like, why not? Like, we're not going to be kind of reinventing the wheel if we don't need to. But what often happens is it's right to challenge that and it's right to push beyond that. And it does depend on your client, does depend on the kind of client you're working with and to how far they kind of can be encouraged to challenge the norms. Like, it's not always that easy. Um, But yeah, I do believe that it's sometimes right to go beyond what's already been done and Mm -hmm. really think about like the future, like how can we pave the way for a future brand? How can we kind of create the next thing that becomes the comfortable, you know, the comfortable thing for our clients? Um, And we are the change makers. We're the people that have that kind of um, ability and responsibility to do that. Clients don't necessarily have that, have that kind of in their mind. They just want to get the thing out there. Um, so our job is to kind of encourage them if we can where possible and where it's necessary so for me the sea of same is really cool so it's super straightforward it's a top line view of or top level view of the market landscape as I call it so what's going on where are the themes where are the commonalities what are the category cues kind of like where are the similarities where is it all looking a little bit crap where is the good stuff happening and we can just kind of lay it out lay it all out even if it's just like one page I sometimes have multiple different pages depending on um, what I'm trying to get across and it's just a really easy way of saying to the client look this is what's happening if we do the same thing we're going to fit in we're going to get lost you're going to get you're going to like lose your way in a few years why follow the crowd and be the last one to market doing the same thing when you could be the first one to market doing it your way instead and just presenting it like that to them makes them think oh shit yeah I'd, I'd rather <laughs> I'd rather be kind of like cool and fresh and new I don't want to be the last one to market following the same trend and that just, yeah, positioning it like that just helps them get out of, it like helps them shift in that comfort zone towards something that might feel a little bit more challenging. But then they start to trust you as well and they think, oh, okay, now, now I understand what Laura's going to do. Now I understand why it's going to work. And yeah, it all feeds into mm-hmm. kind of this expectation and kind of breaking down those preconceived ideas that clients always have. So the sea of same, I think, is my favorite, but I have a bunch of yeah. them. I will, in, I'll, sometimes I'll use them all, sometimes I won't, depends on the client, but um, depends on what, we need to kind of get across and it depends yeah. on how much work the client needs to kind of like really get out of this kind of uh, mm-hmm. thing they've got in their head. I mean, since learning it from Laura, I literally use the sea of same with every single project, whether I'm doing packaging or not. So even if I'm just doing branding for a client, I will pull a ton of different logos from the same industry. I will get screenshots of the brand's different Instagram pages and I will just start comparing and I will go, right, every single one of these, I don't know, chocolate brands is using brown and we definitely don't want to be using purple. Mm-hmm. But then you need to have that conversation of, is using brown going to help to identify us as a chocolate brand? Is using brown important for the customer to be able to recognize who we are and what we do? Or is it something that really I should stay away from and do something completely different? So it's about finding those commonalities and then deciphering which ones are important to keep and which ones you need to be different with. And I just love this so much because it really does help you as a designer as well to step out of your comfort zone a bit and start, you know, steering away from all of those, you know, pre-made logos. And it's one of the things that as a brand myself, you know, Wildflower, it's how we help to create brands that people go, oh my God, that was such a cool idea. I've never seen that done before. Or that color palette is so interesting. And I've really, you know, honed in on this with the CSA. So it's definitely an amazing theory to implement. Highly recommend. And again, if you go and take Laura's course, she has a ton of different theories in there that you can learn from and implement into your own brand as well. So we've reached the part of the podcast where we dive into the audience questions, which is my favorite part because it really helps us to dig deep into the specific concerns that you're having regarding the topic that we're discussing, which obviously today is packaging. And I'm gonna kick it off by going straight in. So we've had a ton of questions about dye lines and cutter guides, etc. So let's just start off by answering, what is a cutter guide? Yeah, so cutter guides are the thing that people I think feel quite scared of I've heard like, oh, I'm no good with the numbers. I mean, I am not good with numbers, but I cutter guides are nothing to do with numbers, so don't worry about it. Like measurements are confusing, this is confusing. It's all good, it's fine. Um, but basically it's the document that the print the printer will use to ensure that the product 
is printed, manufactured in the way that it should be. So it's basically like the, the sheet that you give to them, the, the document that you give to them that has the spec and it also allows you to design the packaging in the right shape, the right size, make sure everything's perfect. And sometimes there'll be other technicalities on there that the printer or the manufacturer will read, if you will. So it has the score lines on there. It has where the cuts will be, where the closures will be, and other technical things as well that we don't always need to know about, but they have it kind of marked on there so that it's really, really clear. So let's say a manufacturer um, in China might create this cutter guide, but actually you're having it printed with a local printer in the UK somewhere. They should be able to take that document and read the information from there. And it'd be really, really clear irrespective of where this cutter guide has come from. So it's just a very, very clear handoff document basically. Um, that means we can we can print the thing and it will come out as we want it. So that's nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's basically what it is. So often it's called, I call it a cutter guide. That's just a kind of the, the terminology that I've kind of learned and um, continue to use. But you'll also hear it called a dial line or a net as well. I think just the term cutter guide um, is a little bit more all-encompassing because it includes like all of the things. So for me, the the swatch down the side, which we'll come on to when we have pan with the Pantone chat um, and like, you know, the dates and kind of who the client is and like the sizing and things like that. <clears throat> it's a little, you know, a few extra details on the cutter guide, whereas the dial line might be just the, you know, the shape of the box. But hopefully that explains it. Yeah. And that leads me perfectly on to the next question, which is how on earth do you go about sourcing these? And somebody asked specifically, especially if the client doesn't actually have a manufacturer, which is a very interesting point that we discussed prior to this podcast, but I'm going to let Laura go into more detail with it. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a big thing as well. So that there's a little bit of a misconception in that people often think that as a packaging designer, we need to be designing the cutter guides as well, which is not the case. So we can, of course, if we if we want to, um, but I'm always kind of hesitant to kind of make that be the norm. Um, so my background is actually in cutter guide creation, which sounds so sexy. I know it's like, <laughs> whoa, yeah. Um, so I actually worked at a packaging manufacturer in London called Repology as my first actual job. And I was a structural designer there. And that included creating cutter guides for like gift bags and like gifting boxes and other cool things like that. Um, and it's super, super technical. And I learned that I didn't really love that technical side of it. Like there's not much creativity in creating a cutter guide. And although I have the skills to do it and I learned how to do it in an actual manufacturer, even I don't want to do it for my clients now because I know how technical and how accurate and how specific down to the actual point millimeter everything has to be even down to kind of like how the cardboard is going to fold. We have to make sure the score line um, is in a certain direction against the grain of the cardboard. Like, you know, like wood has a certain grain, cardboard has a grain as well. And if we score it along the, the wrong place, then the cardboard rips, stuff like that. There's all sorts of considerations, which is why I say to packaging designers now, brand and packaging designers, don't do it because there's all sorts of things that could go wrong. And A, you don't need to, and B, the client, should be responsible for that anyway. So I'm always about kind of like making sure that you um, work within your zone of genius. And as a brand and packaging designer, it's the brand creation that is our kind of jam. It's the thing that we're doing. All the things we've already mentioned today is kind of what we're trying to work on and be our kind of like, yeah, our area of expertise. The cutter guide side is definitely a structural situation. Um, so mm -hmm. I always recommend that the printer or the structural person, like I used to be, is the person that creates. And because they know about all of these things that I've just mentioned, like the board, and the kind of score lines and stuff like that. So that comes back to the answer of the question. So where would you get them <laughs> from? So um, the natural thing to do is if you're having a printer print your boxes, they will normally for a fee um, draw up the cutter guide for you based on what they believe to be the best outcome for that kind of product. And they will advise on different closures, where the glue should be, like how it's gonna stand up. Like they'll make sure it stands up and works basically. So there's a little bit more to it than kind of just drawing a net. Um, and yeah, so my go-to recommendation is to always get them from whoever is going to be printing or whoever is going to be manufacturing the product. They normally have somebody in-house to, to take care of that for you. So that's nice. Yeah. And if the client doesn't have a manufacturer, obviously you can go ahead and create it yourself, but it brings so many complications that really just is not your responsibility as a designer. I think it's really about asking 
your client the right questions and ensuring that they do have a manufacturer in place or at least you know an idea of how they're going to print the boxes or whatever it is that they're creating before you go ahead and start the project so you know in the course again Laura goes into a lot of detail at the very beginning of the questions that should you should be answering a client before you take them on and a big part of that is ensuring that they have some kind of manufacturer in place already totally yeah like if if a client um, inquires and they say oh we want to make a product but we haven't we don't know where it's gonna be made yet and but we still want you to design the packaging my first question is well what what packaging if you i need i need to see the manufacturer i need to see that the products can be made um we need some sort of tangibles to work to otherwise we cannot physically do our job so there's always going to be that exactly. kind of conversation that you have at the beginning um and it might be that they are i don't know creating the product themselves it's like a I have a client who um, batches her essential oils in her home. So she's um, doing that like on a smaller scale. She hasn't got this massive manufacturing supply chain situation where like stuff shipped all over the world. She's doing it in her own house, but she's still got to print the product. She's still got to have it kind of like printed to sell it. So that conversation needs to be had, like how are you actually going to be getting this out in the world? And at that point it's like, okay, then you need a printer. Go ahead and get in touch with printers have them quote for things. Often you'll find, I mean, I at least find that clients come to me with with already this in mind. Um, there's a little bit of education maybe to happen before clients inquire so that they know what needs to happen with the project. But at least in my case, they seem to already have, you know, they've got the balls in, the, the wheels in motion um, and they kind of, yeah, know what's going on a little bit. So that's that's nice. But always be aware of that, I think. So how do you know what information is required for each product in each country? And this this question did kind of make me sit back a bit because am I right in saying that it's not necessarily our responsibility to know, you know, all of the in-depth details of, you know, what needs to be included on an alcohol label in the UK? Like it's not our yeah. responsibility to know yeah. them things. Totally. Um, I mean, I've kind of, <laughs> I have kind of written an answer of like, this is where you can find the information, but... It's definitely something that um, we need to be aware of because ultimately we're going to have to work with the information that we're supplied. Mm -hmm. And as long as as long as we've got, uh, yeah, we need to self educate for our own kind of like knowledge. Like we need to know how big certain things need to be. But it's unreasonable and I think just not necessary for us to be, you know, in have that in depth knowledge of the rules for every single country. It's just just impossible. So I I mean I, I know for sure that I don't. Um, and yeah, I think definitely it's one of those things where we would push back on our client and say, look, I can work with the information that you give me. Um, it's your responsibility to make sure that everything is legal, compliant, and I have a note in my contract. Again, I've just added some things into the course about contracts. And one of the things in there is about compliancy. And it says, client, you need to make sure that everything you give to me is, is legal because I am mm -hmm. not responsible for that. Sorry. Yeah, um, I have that in my contract as well. It's really important. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'll always remind them. So I'll just give you an example. So I had a client recently from Canada and I've never worked with a Canadian um, output for print. So I was like, okay, I, I, I don't know what this is. So I'm going to go ahead and do my own research for my own understanding as well. And nothing wrong with that. Like, it's just good to have an awareness. And so I just kind of typed into Google supplement packaging, Canada regulations. And up came some sort of Canadian, um, like official sort of government website. All of these websites across the world look very similar. They look very similar to our um, .gov website. Um, and yeah, it listed, very simply listed what they need. Um, so I sent that to the client and said, this is what I found, but just so you know, gentle reminder, it is your responsibility. So it's quite easy to find the information. And um, what we need to do is make sure that we're working with it in the right way. But again, it's their responsibility as the client to make sure that it's approved, legal. They can take it somewhere else and have it rubber stamped by kind of like a local authority there and make sure that it's all up to par and up to, you know, up to standard. And then they can kind of approve it. The legality of, me, of that and making sure that everything is like good is definitely on the client. But we just need to know kind of what we're working with yeah. and have that awareness. But I would say exactly. to find out the information for each country... Google is your friend um, for the most part. <laughs> also the course is your friend because I have kind of listed mm -hmm. as much as possible. Um, US definitely, EU, UK, and that's a whole situation in its own right. Um, I also recently learned about Switzerland as well. So it's a lifelong lesson, mm -hmm. a lifelong journey of learning <laughs> with things like this. Um, and yeah, I think just take it case by case, client by client and don't sweat it, don't worry about it. It seems scary, but just, yeah, it's not that big a deal. It really isn't. <laughs> 
Now we did talk about this a little bit at the beginning, but I'm gonna ask it now instead. Um, so how do you go about attracting more packaging design clients when you mainly have worked with only branding clients in the past? Yeah, so this is um, really juicy. So, I mean, yeah, personal projects, passion projects, self-directed projects, whatever you wanna call them, do those. But I think what you can do, if it's appropriate for the kind of brand you've worked on, it does depend, um, you can turn the previous branding projects that you've had into packaging projects. So you can extend them and pull them out and make them feel like more of this brand world um, if it's relevant and appropriate. So I had a project called Kinder, which you might have seen on Behance. It's kind of gone a little bit weird on Behance. Um, <laughs> wasn't a packaging project. Um, isn't really appropriate for like the kind of packaging that we're talking about in terms of retail or like boxes and things like that. But it's definitely appropriate to turn it into something that had like a male experience, which is another type of packaging that we've not really kind of um, talked about. But um, yeah, it made sense for that kind of project to have a bit of a, um, a male experience packaging piece that wasn't considered as part of the deliverable. So if you can find the time to kind of add a little bit of extra outcomes um, or outcome to your previous work, that's one way of making it feel as though there was packaging in the project even if there wasn't. So you kind of do that in your own time. Um, but I think, yeah, it just depends on the kind of client. And if you can just pull them out and make them feel bigger and kind of add those extra deliverables, clients just think, oh yeah, this is like really immersive and really big and kind of finished. Um, and yeah, you can just add a little bit of a note on your website to say that this is an extra thing. Um, yeah, and make it feel as real as possible. Yes. Love that. And I think as well, a lot of it comes in your own confidence and your own ability to be able to call yourself a packaging designer. And I mean, once you have the knowledge and the skills to be able to apply it to packaging and you're like, yeah, I feel like I can call myself a packaging designer, whack it on your website, whack it on your Instagram bio, because nobody's going to look at you and go, oh yeah, they're going to do packaging unless you have it written somewhere obvious. And I think the same goes for anything in the design world, you know, brand strategy, call yourself a strategist if you have the skills to do so. And yeah, same goes for packaging. 100%. Abs yeah, I cannot agree with that more. And actually something that I'd um, not thought about with that question actually until you mentioned it. Um, I have one of my students, in fact, many students are like now feeling the confidence to say I am a packaging designer and simply saying that means that you're putting it out there and able to use that language, show projects that demonstrate there's an expertise there, which in turn means clients feel good about inquiring. And they're like, that makes sense. Like if you don't say it, you know, it's not going to happen. So yeah, actually kind of like putting it out there is a, is a, is a first, yes. the first part of that. I really love this next question. So where are your favorite places to go for packaging mock-ups? Okay, so this answer is probably not the best answer, but um, so <laughs> I have like, um, I rarely, so I rarely look for new mock-ups these days, which is, wild but that's because I have like I have hundreds and hundreds got to remember I've nearly got like 10 years of experience in packaging so everywhere I've worked I've collected mock-up after mock-up after mock-up so I have like this gigantic bank all stored in notion <laughs> of um mock-ups so I'm really kind of looking for new ones and often I will actually make my own as well so yeah as a as a side note like if I can't find what I want I will shoot it um get into photoshop and make something that feels more real that's more for like a portfolio piece situation where I kind of want to kind of make it feel a little bit more, um, yeah, styled or beyond the, you know, beyond the scope of a regular mock-up. Um, but I think for, for like basic mock-ups, I always start with creative market. Um, that's kind of yeah. like, I just feel like there's the fresh, the fresher ones are on there. The ones with a little bit more to them. Um, it does depend on the kind of like what you're looking for as well. So at concept level, I try to keep it quite neutral without all of the fancy bits. I like to keep just like, you know, the front face, like get rid of all of the props and the, the nice things <laughs> and just have the client look at the concept on the front face. So it does depend on kind of what you, yeah, what you're going for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my answer. Um, not really like, I have, yeah, lots of different places, but my go-to is my own resource list. Yes, and I knew you were First. gonna say that because I know you do so much like photography and stuff yourself as well, which is a great way to create like a unique experience for your client too. Um, for me, yeah, Creative Market is obviously a go-to. Yellow Images has a lot of great um, mock-ups for, like Laura was saying, the really basic kind of just the front-facing view of the packaging with just like a plain background. They have a t literally anything under the sun that you could possibly think of, they've got it. Like if, I remember I, I stumbled across like a petrol can mock-up and I was like, why would I ever need that? But it's there. Um, <laughs> so Yellow Images is a great one. Um, Rebecca Barrington has some amazing mock-ups as well. Just, um, she has a lot of skincare, style ones um 
I used them for my passion project um, for a brand called Essence, which was, you know, the mock-ups literally made that project. So she has some great ones too. Um, Mr. Mock-up has some great ones. There's so, so many resources out there, genuinely. And I know, again, this probably isn't the answer that a lot of you are gonna want, but I just Google like free, um, I don't know, lipstick packaging mm. mock-up and go on Google Images and just like click on whichever one. Obviously I will pay for them if need be, but there are amazing free ones out there. So just just do a bit of Googling. That's exactly what I was gonna say as well. I've actually written down Google. <laughs> like <laughs> you just search, like, yes, yeah, search for the one that looks nice, click click around until you, you find the one that feels, that feels good. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, having some go-to places. I'm actually planning to kind of create some in-house mock-ups as well to sell so i'd love that it's not happened yet but it's on the on the list of things to do so watch out i'll hold you accountable for for it (laughs) it just makes sense doesn't it like i'm in that world so like yeah why not So the last question, and I think this is a great one to finish it up on is, should I be using Pantone colors for packaging? Um, in the, do you want the short answer? The short answer is yes, yes. <laughs> but there are lots <laughs> there are lots of different, there's nuance, there's nuance to that answer. So, and lots of different ways of going about it. So if your client is printing with spot inks, that is to say they're printing with a Pantone, then 100% obviously you will need to pick a Pantone reference. What often happens is um, clients these days will will not print with spot inks because it's cheaper to print digitally. So when we print digitally, we're not using wet spot inks in the same way. It's just a completely different system. However, irrespective, my, my, my advice is irrespective of the kind of print output that you are working to, just pick a Pantone anyway. Like just have that as your standard process, standard system. Um, when you get to that point in the process, when you are designing the back of pack and you're kind of laying out the artwork on the cutter guide. I wouldn't kind of pick them any sooner than that. I would kind of wait until that that sort of like production side of things. Mm-hmm. Always pick a Pantone as a target color. Um, and it means that you're covered in any situation irrespective of how it's gonna be printed. And there's always a reference point there. So yes. if the printer opens a document and they're like, oh, we're not printing with spot inks, you might not be privy to that information. Like sometimes clients and printers have their own conversations about costing behind the scenes that mm-hmm. you might not be aware of. Um, and that's fine. And you might go into the project thinking, we're gonna be printing with spot inks. And then it turns out that they're not. At least you've given them the information anyway. And then there's yeah less to go wrong. It means that everybody's yeah. on the same page with the colors. I often hear like, how can I, you know, how can I make sure that the printer knows what color to print? Um, even if I'm not there, like, do I have to be there with the printer? Do I have to kind of check it for them? The thing is the Pantone gives you that tool and gives them the a, a way of, you know, ensuring accuracy mm-hmm. without you kind of having to handhold them. So it's a global standard. So I'd always yeah. Yeah, pick a color, whatever whatever happens, pick a color and have it on the artwork. Um, yes. I actually have a swatch in the course, which allows you to lay it out nicely down the left-hand side, mm-hmm. add the colors and you can put your CMYK version, you can put your Pantone version. You should just be able to hand it off to the printer or your yes. client and they should understand exactly what to do. So that's nice as well. Because I mean, it goes without saying that CMYK is relative depending on the printer that they're using because every single device and every single printer computer has a completely different color gamut which is a whole other technical thing Thing. I'm not going to get into (laughs) but um colors you know they're really relative depending on the device you're using so Pantone just helps things to be you know neutral across the board because if you've ever you know gone to a printer's I don't know even printed.com or moo or whatever you're using and you have something printed and you think oh that's not the same color as it looked on the screen it's it's not going to be because they're not using Pantone in those situations and you have a Pantone guide don't you I do yes I have the formula guide not the bridge um but either one works I do yeah. have um, a link actually on my blog on the Arcan site, which shows you the exact books that I recommend Love that. and so on. So yeah, please go there and have a read. Yeah, I've, I think I've got the Colour Bridge ones. I can't remember specifically off the top of my head, but I just remember so well. I had a client and I designed like a shoe box for them and some swing tags and things. And they came back to me a few weeks later and they were like, what are the Pantone colours? And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) I don't have Pantone colors. I've never used them before. And I was, at the time I was like, I'm so sorry, I don't work with Pantone colors, which was a really amateur, terrible thing to say to my client at the time. Um, And I've since invested in Pantone. You will be glad to hear. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely an investment, but I think, I mean, it's one of those things that um, when we come back to like, not that we've talked about pricing, because that is a conversation for our day. (laughs) But um, when it comes down to like, what goes into a packaging project, 
the knowledge itself about Pantones and the diff- the new ones with print is is something that we sh- we shouldn't forget. And then the fact that you have to buy a Pantone book, um, yeah, it all it all goes into why packaging projects ought to be charged. Mm-hmm. I think a lot more than they often are. Um, yes. And why they're worth so much. I mean, never mind the fact that they are the, the thing that drives the sales for the client um, and therefore really, 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 really valuable. There's a lot of information, knowledge, expertise, and just understanding that goes into that kind of project. So, yes. Yeah, that's, yeah, my favorite Amazing. part of it is making sure that we charge properly. That's, yeah, but that's something for another day, isn't it? <laughs> so, obviously, you can't have missed the fact that we've been talking about the fact that Laura has a course. <laughs> so, I'm just going to give you a minute to kind of talk about how people can sign up to that if they want to and kind of what it entails. Sure. So the course, as we've mentioned, is basically my life's work poured into (laughs) seven whole modules, which run you through all the way from um, the beginning of a project down to the inquiry stage. So listening out for certain things you can, um, yeah, the questions you need to ask basically to understand whether this client is good or not good. Remember, we talked about kind of this whole idea of having cutter guides or not, manufacturers or not, a bunch more questions along those lines to help you figure out if it's a good client and how it's going to streamline the project or make the project more difficult and so on all the way through to the production side which we've talked a little bit about today as well so how we set up the cutter guides what you do with them for the first time when you open them because there is like a thing I recommend that we do when we even open a cutter guide for the first time never mind like actually kind of setting that up um handing it off preparing it for print and then everything in between so like design theory strategic tools that we can use to kind of differentiate and kind of take our client on the journey and lots of other things that I'm probably forgetting right now because there's so much. Um, but basically <laughs> everything that I know <laughs> about packaging. Um, so we have 100 and, uh, as of today, around about 123 students, which is nice. Love that. Um, so that's cool and growing. So a new student joined the course yesterday as well. So it is open right now, continuously open to join. And Katie, you can add the link, I think, in the notes. So it's just on the Alkine site. <laughs> Yeah, I have an affiliate link purely because I love the course so much. And this obviously does mean if you purchase through my link, um, I will get a small percentage of the sale, which obviously helps myself as a designer to continue to grow my business, which I'm so thankful for. Um, So yeah, I am an affiliate of the course. So if you use my link to go and check out Laura's course, it would be much appreciated. It will be in the kind of link to the, um, this episode that you're listening to right now. And it's also in my Instagram bio. So feel free to go and check us out. But on that note, that concludes today's episode. Thank you so much, Laura, for coming on and sharing sharing your knowledge with all of us it's been so amazing to dig dig into it there is so much more that we could discuss and I think we could probably chat for hours and hours about this subject (laughs) if given the opportunity um but yeah what's your Instagram handles for anybody that wants to go over and follow you sure yeah so I have two because why would one have one when you can have two so I have my (laughs) own which is actually the one that's more active so lauraevans.co which is where I kind of do my daily what I'm working on like projects and things like that and then I have the studio one which is our kind dot studio um, and that's kind yes. of more of a portfolio situation which is a little bit less active but still there to kind of like have a different angle you know so it's mm-hmm. just a work um, and it allows me to have be you know be more personal on my personal account so yeah you can find me on both of those love to see you um, I like to make internet friends so more the merrier <laughs> yes and make sure to go and follow us over at off air pod for some bonus juicy content and we will see you next week with another episode <laughs>